You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you want to get to know someone better, deeper, the best thing you can do is to start out with a why question. That's how you get to know someone's heart. You see, people can do good things, but for the wrong reasons. In fact, we all do it at times. So someone comes up to you from our church and they say, I'm going on a mission trip. The typical question is, when or where? But surprise them and say, why? I've actually had people say to me, what do you mean, why? Like you couldn't go on a mission trip for the wrong reason. Yes, you could. Why? Well, I got a new passport. Not a good reason. Because I've always wanted to go to that country. No. But if it's a desire to serve the Lord and maybe do it in a cross-cultural experience, great. Someone tells you, I got a new job. You say, why? Now, obviously, you don't do this with people who are strangers as much. But, but people you know, you say, why? And oftentimes, people stop and think, hmm, and then they'll tell you, well, money. I mean, that, that could even be a good reason if a person is in need. That could be a fine reason or, or you know, because I want to work with different people. Or what if somebody would say, well, I've shared my faith with everybody I work with now. I wanted to try another job, so I had a new, new field. Wow, that's impressive. It's so helpful to get to know someone I went to church last week. Why? Because my parents made me. Because my wife thought I should attend. Because it makes God happy. You see, people go to church for all the wrong reasons and it's good to say why because it makes you think. Now in this passage of scripture, the thing that really kind of surprised me as I began to study this was it's all about why. The Apostle Paul says, I want to come and visit you in Rome. Now, this is the very first part of his writing in this wonderful book we're studying together. I want to come to visit you. And if you said, Paul, why? What I want to show you today is six reasons. That's what he does. He gives you six reasons why And as you study those, boy, we learn a lot about Paul today. In a passage you wouldn't expect to. And I think you'll like what you see. So take your Bibles. Join me in Romans chapter 1. I have encouraged you to take the same Bible, the same translation, and use it for the whole study. I think you'll find it helpful. And secondly, if you want to take your sermon notes, they're available to you. You can use them either on your church app or paper, whichever you prefer. And let's dig in. There are two thoughts for the series. Thought number one is God's qualities, his eternal, amazing qualities are easily seen and known by anyone who chooses. You can live in any part of the world and see a sunrise or a sunset or see the creation and and go, wow, somebody did this. Some some higher power did this. You, You can always see God's quality. Secondly, for those who trust Christ, God's righteousness is not only shown to them, you don't only see it, you get it. And we'll look more at that in two weeks and that'll make a lot more sense. Now, 
Last week we did what I would call the forward to the book of Romans. And I think even Paul would say that, and I'll show you why in a moment. But in the forward, we learn these things, and we'll make them real simple. Number one, the writer is Paul. Keep in mind, that's his nickname. His true name is Saul. Paul means to be small or short, so he was probably short of stature, so maybe that's where the name comes from, but it's his nickname, how we know him, the Apostle Paul. Secondly, the gospel is Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross and at the tomb, that's the gospel. That's all you really need to know. Thirdly, the calling of Paul is to preach to the Gentiles. The top Jew, one of the top Jews in the world really, one of the top Jews in all the Bible. He's like premier. You would think that somebody who was such a distinguished Jew would preach to the Jews. But God always works in mysterious ways, it seems. And he says, Paul, you're going to go to the Gentiles. Paul's message, obedience. He's writing this book for the most part to people who already know Christ. Believers, most of us. He's writing to say, you have faith, now line up your obedience. And actually the first 11 chapters are kind of why why you would, and then chapters 12 to 15 show you how. The readers, all saints, those who were living in Paul's day, those today. Now, keep in mind the word saints, as I told you last week, is one of the most misunderstood words in modern times. Some people think a saint is someone who is particularly holy or someone uh, who passed away and now is called a saint. No. In the Bible, a saint is anyone who has come to faith in Christ. You can call, if you're Christians, call one another saint, and that's fine. Just call me Saint Denny anytime you want to. But see, it sounds weird because we have a misunderstanding of the word. The word simply means believer. And then lastly, Paul concludes with his very famous greeting, grace and peace, which is always in that order, as I told you. Grace always precedes peace. You can't have peace in human relationships, in a relationship with God. You can't have peace until there is grace. So grace and peace. Now we come to what I consider the beginning of the letter. And Paul does too. See what his first word is? First. So in other words, that was the forward, the backdrop. Now here we go with the first thing we should know. I'm going to read the whole thing to you and we'll come back and do it by pieces. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, is preaching the gospel of his son. In preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you at Rome. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. I've wanted to in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the, and, and the foolish, that, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, again, as I just read that paragraph or so to you, I, I think it kind of, for me, it kind of jumbles together because Paul's writing is just, 
It, it's amazing, really, but it's, it's deep. And so then you have to go back and start, as I said last week, diagramming. And that's, that's what I did. Now, I'm going to start with the priority and the word first, because that's where he starts. But I want to show you something that wasn't his intent. This is, this is what I think you should know about Paul. Paul wasn't saying this about himself. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. I just want you to know that here is a man who is always thankful. Here is a man who had every reason in the world to complain. He faced more hardships than most any of us will in two or three lifetimes, and yet he did not complain. He was a thankful person. Thanks be to God in Romans 6. Thanks be to God in Romans 7. 1 Corinthians, I always thank my God. 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God. Ephesians, always giving thanks to God. Philippians, thank my God. Colossians, we always thank God. And it goes on and on. I'm just listing a few. This is a guy who is thankful. And I just want you to see that because I think sometimes Paul gets a bad rap. I, I think he's seen as all business. But this is a guy who really has a good heart. I, I just want to say this too. Are you a thankful person? Have you recently been just thanking the Lord for all you have? Or have you recently been complaining about what you don't have? I, just two thoughts here. Thankful people aren't complainers. When you meet thankful people like Paul here, you almost never see a complaint. And the opposite, complainers are almost never thankful. So how would you define yourself? Now that's just a little aside. I wanted you to see that about Paul. Really what he's getting to here is, in this instance, Paul is specifically thankful for the international report of the Romans' faith. He says, all over the world, all over the world, your faith is being reported. Now, how would he know that? Well, who do you know that's been all over the world? Paul, right? He's already done several missionary journeys. He's been all over what was then the known world, and he's been in every possible church he could have been in, and everywhere he goes, people go, boy, those Romans, they really have a solid faith. By the way, I'll just say this as a commendation to you. I get around and speak in different places and so forth, and I often hear about the people from Emmanuel. Boy, the people from Emmanuel, good people. And I, I always think, I know, I'm so thankful, but I'm not thankful enough, and I don't say that enough. Now, the second part is his prayer. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray now at last by God's will that the way may be open for me to come to you. Now, what's the prayer? Before we get to that, I wanna show you who, call, who Paul calls as his witness. If you said, I pray all the time, and I'd say, who would you call as your witness? Or you come up to me and say, Pastor, I pray for you every weekend before you preach. And I'd say, would you put your hand on my Bible? Do you want to say that again? A lot of us would go, ooh, I don't know. Well, most weekends I do. Because you see, to call the Bible, or even worse, God as your witness. You see who he calls? He calls God himself. God whom I serve in my spirit and preach the gospel is my witness. In other words, God would tell you, I, I pray constantly for you. Isn't that amazing? Who do you pray constantly for? I thought about that this week, and I, I don't know. I pray now and then I, I pray for this person, and then I'll think about him later, and I'll pray for him again, but I don't know who I constantly pray for. That was a challenge to me. 
Paul's prayer for the people of Rome was constant and at all times. And you, you might say, why is he redundant here? Because in the Greek world, it was true in the Hebrew world, you would say things both negatively and positively. That way you're covering every track, right? So here we have, and I'll show it to you in the Young's translation because this is the word for word. Paul says, without ceasing, I always. So negatively, without ceasing, and I always. And that way you're covering everything. Paul says, I'm constantly praying. His specific prayer in verse 10 is that God would provide a way for Paul to visit Rome. And particularly these people. And I just want to pause here and say, whatever your dream is, be careful what you pray for. Quick story, my wife just told me this story recently. My wife's parents had lived in rented homes for years and they dreamed to have their own home and uh, could not afford a down payment, so they began to pray together. They prayed together that God would give them the resources to be able to buy a home. Hadn't prayed very long when my father-in-law's father was hit by a car and killed. And they were given a settlement which helped them make a down payment on a home. And my father-in-law would say to his children, be careful what you pray for. Because it may not end up the way you think. Paul says, I just pray that the way will be open for me to come to you. It was, but not like Paul pictured. Paul thought he'd arrive, you know, on a plane and get off the plane and get on a tour bus and just have a wonderful visit to Rome. That's not what happened. Actually, what happened was he was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount and he was arrested for something he didn't do and he was thrown in prison and he was forgotten like two years. And the Lord came to him at night and says, Paul, you're gonna go to Rome, but not like you thought. The king later says, I'm gonna have to send you to the Caesar because you've appealed. And then as you know, when Paul got to Rome, it was after a shipwreck, after a very difficult time and he arrived in handcuffs. Paul says, I just pray I can go to Rome. That's not really how he pictured it, I don't think. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong. It was God's will. But always be careful what you pray for because it may be answered differently than you think. The purpose of his visit, this is the why. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Six reasons Paul wanted to go to Rome. You probably picked a lot of them out. Let's look at them together. Paul wasn't wanting to go to Rome to see the Colosseum, which by the way, hadn't been built yet, or the Roman Forum, which by the way, was there at the time. He didn't want to go as a tourist. He wanted to go to provide ministry. Now, the first thing I want you to see, the overarching picture, before I give you the six reasons, is this. I long to see you, not Rome, not the buildings, not even Caesar. I want to see you. And then at the end, he says, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. So 
these people, even though he'd never visited them, really mattered to Paul. Mind you, why he prayed so much for them. He loved them. Now, why did he want to go to Rome? Six reasons. Number one, he wanted to provide a spiritual gift to these people, to the church. And keep in mind when I say spiritual gift here, this is not like the spiritual gifts that we are given once we become Christians, like the gift of teaching or helps or serving or whatever. These, this is a spiritual gift in the sense of kind of a human to human, a person to person gift. The Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, other places, is the one who gives what we call the spiritual gifts. But if you and I would sit down and pray together and for each other, that's kind of a spiritual gift to each other, not a technical spiritual gift. That's what Paul's saying. I want to impart to you a spiritual gift and I want to receive it from you. By the way, this is a verse that has been misused by what I would call charismatic groups. I'm not saying this to be, to put any group down, I just want you to be aware. Some groups will use this and say, when we get to your church, we're going to give you the gift of tongues. And they'll use this verse. I'll come to give you a spiritual gift. That's not what this means. And no person gives anybody a spiritual gift that's from God. Only God gives those. Secondly, I want to come to encourage you and be encouraged by you. Who's your favorite musician? What, what concerts do you like to go to? I always find it interesting that there are certain concerts, certain artists, musicians that will show up just in time, do their concert, and then leave like, I am God's blessing to you. You poor people out there, I am your idol. Or, or, or maybe a, a preacher, a well-known preacher shows up at a church to give these poor souls some teaching because, you know, who are they? I, I just love this. Paul is as we know today, one of the most important Christians that ever lived, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And yet he goes, I want to come and encourage you, but be encouraged by you. I want this to be a two-way street. That's the way ministry should be. It should be ministering to one another. No, no one just observing, everyone participating. And that's what Paul asks. Number three, he says, I want to come even more because I've been prevented before from visiting. I've had multiple plans, look at this. I have planned many times to come to you. And each time it falls through. Quick story, 20 years ago I was in Rome, my, my dream was to go to Pompeii. The guide I was with said, we're gonna go to Pompeii, you don't have to worry about it. But what happened was, we got doing so many other things, we ran out of time and then instead had to go north and I didn't get to see Pompeii. So a few years later, I went back to Rome and I said, the one thing I want to do is see Pompeii. They said, no problem. There was a major storm that came across the southern part of Italy and we were not able to go to Pompeii just a few years ago. In fact, some of you went on the trip. I planned a trip uh, from, to follow Christians actually from France and Italy and, and part of the trip, of course, I planned it so I wanted to go to Pompeii, right? So I planned it to go to Pompeii. That's when I had my knee problems. I had to cancel out of the trip. So I didn't get my third canceled trip to Pompeii. So just a few weeks ago, I got to go. I was so anxious to go because I'd been canceled three times. I really, I wasn't wild by it anyway. But the point is, 
The point is, you want to see something more when you haven't been able to. And Paul says, I've so wanted to over and over again, but it just hasn't worked. And now he gets to do it. He says, I want to come to you to have a harvest among the people of Rome. He says, all over the world, I've been preaching the gospel, and God, the Holy Spirit, has drawn a harvest. People have come to faith in Christ. By the way, in 1 Corinthians, he reminds us that anybody who scattered seeds, anybody who's a spiritual farmer, deserves a portion of the harvest. And Paul says, in no uncertain terms, I want to see a harvest. I want to see people come to faith. That's why I want to come to Rome. Number five, he wanted to come to Rome to continue to repay his debt. Now, here's where the NIV, I think, just my opinion, maybe takes a word and I think maybe makes it a little more unclear. So let me take you to the Young's translation. The very end of Romans 1.14 says, I am a debtor. That's this word. NIV translated obligated. It's the word debt. I am in debt. To who? You can go to the bank and take out a loan and you're in debt to that bank, Right? But there's another way to be in debt. You probably don't think about this one. Let's say you're traveling somewhere and you meet someone from Fort Wayne and they say, hey, I have $1,000 that belongs to someone who lives in Fort Wayne. I haven't been able to get back there. Would you take this to them? And you go, sure. So you take the $1,000. Who are you in debt to? The person who's supposed to get it. And until you take that $1,000 and hand it to the person, not the person who gave it necessarily, but the person you're supposed to give it to, you're in debt. And Paul says, I'm in debt to Greeks and non-Greeks. Now, don't miss this. That doesn't mean Gentiles and Jews. Greeks were considered the highest, most sophisticated people in society. You know who the non-Greeks are? See the Greek word? Barbaros. What's our word? Barbarian. That's our word, barbarian. By the way, the Greeks thought that their language was so beautiful, and it was, it is, and so sophisticated that you were either a Greek, and if you didn't speak Greek, everything you sound kind of sounded, everything you said kind of sounded like bar, 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 bar. And that's where they got the word. You, it's automatopoeia, if you know that, that, that word. It, it's the idea that everybody else sounds like bar, 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 but we are the sophisticated ones. So Paul says to the highest of society and to the lowest of society. And then he says it one more time. To the wise and the unwise, or as the, as the Young's translation says, the thoughtless. To the person who is so wise, down to the person who can't even spell wise, that's, that's who I want to preach to. That's who I'm indebted to. Christ gave me a gift, and I need to pass it on to you. Finally, number six, I want to be there to preach the gospel, and I'm eager to do so. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel. I want you to know that sometimes I have this feeling, oftentimes I have this feeling. I'm preparing my sermon in the middle of the week and I start to see things and understand things that I haven't before and I go, oh man, can't wait till the weekend. I can't wait to preach this. And that's what he's saying. I am so eager to get there and preach to you because there's some good things I wanna say. Which by the way, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. And then we come to the, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which we're going to do this and verse 17 next week, just two verses next week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he tells us why. So that's where we're headed next week. Now, one more thing I want to conclude with, and that is 
I skipped a line that you may have noticed. One little phrase I skipped over intentionally so I could come back to it. Here it is. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel. Serve in my spirit. I know many people, and there are probably many of you sitting here, who think you should serve the Lord because you have to. Maybe your parents and maybe your upbringing taught you that you've got to serve the Lord. Or, or maybe because you're afraid if you don't serve the Lord, you'll lose your salvation. Or, or maybe some people serve the Lord for money. I know that's a fact. Or, or some out of guilt. I've done so many bad things. I got to serve the Lord to repay what I did. All of those are bad reasons. Why do you serve the Lord? Those are not good reasons. Why do you serve the Lord, Paul? I serve the Lord because it's in my heart. That's what the word spirit here means. It's my very center. It's my gut. It's my soul. It is my passion. That's why I serve the Lord. And I hope that can be your answer too. For me to live is Christ, says Paul. That's the center of my heart. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team up to lead us. But before I do or before we sing... Let me just share a couple things. Paul was not intending, I don't think, to tell you about himself, but what have we learned about him? He was thankful, humble, he loved the people, he was eager to preach, he was in debt to Christ, and he served because it was his heart. I mean, you gotta like the guy, even if, I know, he's gotten a bad rap. I, I think you gotta like this guy. This guy is solid. And I like to meet the guy, get to know him better before we get into this book any further. Secondly, I would just throw this at you and say, that's Paul's heart. What's yours? Let me ask you three questions. You don't have to answer them aloud. You don't have to tell anybody else your answer. Just be honest with yourself. Why do you follow Christ? Why do you go to church? Why do you serve the Lord? Take a minute or two to think about it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful to be able to come and be in a place like this together, to learn from one another and to celebrate who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your word, which is truth. And Father, we're reminded today that many times we do things for the wrong reasons. Thank you for this teaching about Paul that you've given us in Romans. Thank you for his good rationale for why he did what he did. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be honest, that if we're doing things for the wrong reason through your Holy Spirit, you'd teach us. Father, even hurt us if necessary to get us back on the right track because we want to be faithful to you and we want to serve you because of the joy that it brings. 
It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.